Father, we commend ourselves to you today, Lord, only by the goodness of the Holy Spirit within us. Father, we recognize that no good thing dwelleth within any of us, but only the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus. We thank you, Father, it is with Jesus that our souls have to do. Thank you, he is such a fair and a just God that we can entrust our souls to him to look after us. We thank you, Lord, for his wonderful love. Father, indeed, it's wonderful, wonderful, the love of Jesus. Father, and thank you for such a mighty revelation that you've given us of the marvelous tidal wave of love that can just cascade over each one of us, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our problems are. Your Holy Spirit is there to reveal Jesus' love to us. And we just bask in the wonderful sunshine that comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us. Oh, Father, we would ask tonight that the Lord may be glorified, that every word that is spoken may be just for his glory. That's all we want. We want every ounce of energy of ours to be used for him. Father, we commit everything to you. In Jesus' name, just take it and control it and use it. Amen. Amen. We come to number nine of the second series, and I've called this Palaces or Mud Huts. Palaces or Mud Huts, its formal title, The Judgment of Believers' Works. The Judgment of Believers' Works. Now, by way of introduction, also by way of summary for what we've seen already, I want to see, before we begin, the believer in three main ways. Now, I'm going to write these down because I think it's important to get them. They all begin with S. I tried to change it, but I couldn't. Uh, to see the believer as these three. Number one, as a sinner. Number one, as a sinner. Number two, as a son. And number three, as a servant. Now, for every believer, those three are true. You are a sinner. If you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're also a son. And if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're also a servant. Those three. Now, two of these we've dealt with before. All of them have got judgment connected with them. Now, let's take each in turn. And by way of repetition, we can see them. Number one, first of all, the believer as a sinner. Now, the judgment of the believer as a sinner is past. It's past. There is no future judgment for any believer as a sinner. The reason for that, as you well know by this time, I hope, is that the Lord Jesus Christ took every sin that a believer was going to commit, is committing, will commit in the future, and he suffered and was judged for it on the cross. The sinner, therefore, has been judged in the past. When? 2,000 years ago, on the cross, you were judged for your sins, and you were found guilty. That's a marvellous revelation. In fact, we come to the point now where there is actually only one sin that anyone will be judged for, and we call that the unforgivable sin. And if you haven't heard the tape, I'll define it. The unforgivable sin is the sin of not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We get it beautifully summed up, as you know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 18, which says, He who believes in him is not judged. That's right. Or condemned. 
It's the same word. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned or judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now that's the unforgivable sin. And if you are tonight a believer, by definition, you cannot commit the unforgivable sin. If you uh, are in danger of committing the unforgivable sin, well, of course, it's very easy. The solution to it is Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's all you've got to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so the judgment of the sinner is past. Number two, to see the believer as a son has a judgment connected to it too. And that judgment is present. Right now, I hope in your life, right now. Because, as we've seen, the Bible's clear, it says, judge that ye be not judged. If we judge ourselves, we be not judged. And it means that every single day of your life, you should be judging yourself and saying, Father, that's a sin. Please deal with it. There's another sin. Please deal with it. There's another one. Deal with it, Lord. And you, in your relationship of sonship, have to judge yourself right here and now, every moment of the day. What for? To keep you in fellowship with your Father. And the essential scripture, of course, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, it's up to your free will. If you choose not to, then your Father in heaven, being a good parent, will have to come along and he will discipline you. He will correct you, which is his, his right. Now, we've seen those two. Tonight, we're coming on to the third one. The judgment of the servant. You as the servant of God. All right? Now, that's the third one that we're coming on to. And this one's future. This one is future. Now, the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a servant of his. And if your growth is correct, you'll start producing. Because what's a servant for but to wait on his master? And each one of us in this room has a duty to wait on the Lord, to serve the Lord, to produce for the Lord. And that's the role of a servant. Now when you're a young baby, well, perhaps you don't produce quite as much as you should do. But as you grow in the Lord, so your production should increase and increase and increase. And your production, one day, is going to be judged by the Lord. Not your sins, they've been judged. Not the sins you're doing now, they've been judged. But your works, the work you are doing for God, one day will be judged. And so tonight the subject is the judgment of believers' works. When's it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Who's going to do it? What are you going to be feeling while it's going on? These are the questions that immediately come to my mind and probably to yours as well. This is rather like the quality control you get in most, but not all, factories. You have a team of people who are busy producing for the factory. They're producing television screens or radios or ice lollies, whatever it is. And you normally have a group of people who are called the quality control group or some other name like that. And their job is not to check up on the people who are busy doing the work. 
Their job is to check up on the work itself. So that a radio comes along, they switch it on, <coughs> and they get good reception. So that's passed, that's very good, that moves on. And then you come to every other one, or every hundredth, if it's a good firm, or every thousandth, if it's an excellent firm, and you switch it on, and it doesn't work. And you say, oh, that's no good. And you put it to one side. All right? Now, that is what the judgment of believers' works is all about. It is not the judgment of the believer. It is the judgment of the believers' works. Every day, you should be producing works. And they're the things that have got to be judged. Now, the parable, actually, that deals with this, and I don't want to turn to it because I think we have dealt with it before, but I'm going to go through it verbally, is the parable of the sower found in the Gospels. All right, the parable of the sower. This parable has to do with <coughs> production. How productive are you with God? That's the whole point of the parable. Now, you remember the, the story. Jesus explains it. He actually comes along and he explains what the parable is all about. And uh, you've got, first of all, seed. Do you remember that? It's a farm scene. And you've got seed, bags of seed everywhere. And the seed is the word of God. The sower is coming along and he's sowing the word of God. He's broadcasting it all over the field. And the parable actually deals with what happens to the bits of seed as they fall on the ground. All right? The seed is the same. What changes is the quality of the ground that the seed falls on. The whole point of the story is that the ground is different. The soil is of a different quality right the way through. All right? Now, you remember the story. The first one... The first seed falls, it says, by the wayside. Now, actually, it's not at what we would call the wayside. It's the bit of ground by the side of the field that's been trodden down by the farmer. All right? Obviously, all fields have got to have some part that's trodden down. And after many years of being trodden down by the farm, it's become really hard. And the seed comes along, it drops onto the bit of hard ground, it bounces off again and it lies on the surface of the field. And it says, you remember, that the birds of the air come along and they swoop down and they take hold of the seed and they, they eat it. And that's a picture to us of the unbeliever. His heart hardened to the gospel. The seed drops on his heart and it bounces off again. And Satan comes along and he picks up the seed as fast as possible. He doesn't want there to be any chance of that seed going into the ground. From then on, however, you've got production of the believer. The first thing that happens is you've got some shallow soil, and you might have a shallow believer. And the word of God comes along, it, it's received in for a second, and all of a sudden it blossoms forth in the most wonderful growth, and Jesus describes this growth. But as soon as the sun comes out, it's got no root, and it starts withering away, and soon where was good potential has withered away to nothing. Do you know believers like that? Because I do. People who've received the word of God, who've started off so well, and yet as soon as the trials and the persecutions and the hardness in life come along, they just wither up and die. Now for them, zero production. And when we come to the judgment of believers' works, there are going to be some people who actually get up there and they've got nothing to show at all. Boy, that's going to be a shock. It really will.
Uh, there's another one of those believers that's described, and here the seed uh, is actually sown among the thorns. Do you remember the, the parable? And the thorns are tangling away, they're growing like mad, and this poor seed is choked. And that for us is someone who's received the word of God, they've been born again, but all of a sudden the cares of the world, riches, perhaps it's your reputation that we're talking about, and suddenly you find, oh, your friends don't like it now that you're a Christian. Oh, so I think perhaps I'd better tone it down a bit. The result? Zero production. But the last, you remember, falls on good ground. And it falls into the ground and it produces 30-fold, 60-fold, <coughs> even 100-fold. And it actually, how much is produced depends upon the ground. I just uh, begin, actually, with a little scripture the Lord gave me uh, the, the other week. I was reading Genesis, and in Genesis 26, there's a, a lovely little scripture, which I noted, and the Lord really blessed me through it. Genesis 26, and it's verse 12, <coughs> it's verse 12, you see some people doubt that you can get a hundredfold, what that means is for every one grain you put in the ground, a hundred come out, hallelujah, you know what that means for you don't you, if you're producing a hundredfold, you imagine the blessings, every year a hundredfold, and all of those a hundredfold. So you've got a hundred times a hundredfold. You imagine the blessing if every believer was turning out produce one hundredfold. Here's what it says, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Hallelujah. And I thought, it's not impossible. If Isaac can do it, we can do it too. There's nothing about Isaac that you haven't got. Absolutely nothing. It is possible to produce 100-fold for God. But what it depends upon is the quality of the soil. And the point is, how dealt with is your life before God? You see, the seed is top quality. What are you? If you're not top quality, then top quality seed is not going to produce a hundredfold. If you're second class quality, it's going to produce sixtyfold. Third class, thirtyfold. Tenth class, onefold. You'll just about duplicate yourself. And that's it. What is the quality? You see, it's only the Holy Spirit in us that actually produces any good at all. And so it's only as the Lord deals with our life so that the Holy Spirit can start flowing out that we can produce for God. It's the only production there is. The flesh avails nothing at all. And that's going to be the message of tonight. Your flesh avails nothing, but the Holy Spirit avails everything. Praise God. All right, now let's see the uh, position of this judgment. All right, let's see when your works are actually going to be judged. Well, the answer is very clear. You're judged just after the rapture of the church. So I better define what I mean by the rapture of the church. The day is coming, and very soon, when the Lord Jesus shall appear in the clouds. And he's going to appear there for one pur purpose, because he doesn't want you on this earth anymore. If you're dead before that day arrives, you're going to be whisked up from your grave. 
your body is actually going to be reconstituted. You will be given a resurrection body in the clouds. We who are alive will come afterwards. And they'll be ready up in the clouds. So if you've got some loved one who's already gone on, they're going to get there before you. Praise God. Well, that's, that's good. I'm glad about that. We who are alive then shall be caught up from the earth. Actually, it's like pulling up weeds. Like pulling up weeds. Because some people disagrees with their theology, but they're going to go all the same. And they're going to be raptured to be taken up in the clouds with the Lord. Now, that's coming. Let's, uh, let's take it from the cross right through to the rapture here. The church is the witness of God. The church is the witness of God. You are an ambassador for Christ. If you're a believer, you're already an ambassador. You should be working for God. That's the point. He's got no other workers, so here you are. Praise God. Every one of you. I'm not good enough. No, you're not. He is, though. Hallelujah. It's his work through you that counts, not your own work. So, at the rapture, the church is removed. So, I always put an arrow going up. From the rapture, then, you've got seven years of tribulation on the earth. Seven years tribulation. Now, with, <coughs> with the church gone... God has to use the Jews again to start preaching the gospel. And we know from Revelation chapter 7 that 144,000 Jews are used to evangelize the whole world. And they get quite a harvest too. It's more than a hundredfold. Praise God. In the worst conditions on the earth, they are producing and producing and producing. And we've got some of the best conditions on the earth. And what are we doing? Producing? I hope so. We'll know one day... Because it's going to be revealed, praise God, at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, at the, at the end of seven years, we get the second advent. The second advent, and the seven years of tribulation terminates with the reappearance of the Lord Jesus. With us, we're coming back. We go up at the rapture, seven years later, we come down again. That's it. Okay, well, when are your works judged then? Here it is. Directly after the rapture, and while the earth is having tribulation, our works are being judged. Not you, your works are being judged. And there is a difference between those. Alright, so that the judgment actually occurs just here. The judgment of believers' works occurs right there. Alright, and that's what we mean. Now we call it the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. And I imagine all of us with a bag in heaven. Our works are in the bag. You're not judged, your bag is judged. Now that's it. Alright, let's see some scriptures on this before we go on. First of all, the rapture. I think we will have a look at the rapture. Uh, one, sorry, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4, first of all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And verse 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. All right? <clears throat> and here's the uh, rapture. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
and you're going to hear that shout. One day, a huge shout's going out, and you're going to say it's come. Goodbye, earth. Hello, heaven. And by the way, this is before your works are judged, so we're not talking about anything that's going to stop you getting to heaven. The only thing that could stop you getting to heaven were your sins, and they've already been judged. Hallelujah. So you take your works with you to heaven. We are not talking about salvation, and I emphasize it. All right? Nothing can stop you getting to heaven once you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean nothing. Nothing at all, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Not your biggest problem, not your biggest fear, not your fear of death or whatever you've got. Nothing shall separate you. Not your theology, even, once you've been born again. You can go right off theologically and it may be a shock to you when you actually get there. But get there you are going to because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Christ and his work. Praise God. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. That's a trumpet sound. The trumpet sound's going to go forth as well. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Forever and forever and forever. Whether you've got hundreds of works, whether you've got no works, whether you've got good works or whether you've got bad works, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Okay, once you're up there, the judgment seat of Christ comes into view. Now let's have a look at that. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 10. Actually, I'll begin verse 8. Begin verse 8. <clears throat> All right? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. The word actually that's used most in this whole chapter is the word we. We. It's used, I've actually added it up, I've forgotten the exact number. It's about 25 or 26 times the word we is used. And whenever we is used, it refers to believers. We believers, he's saying. We, you Corinthians and me, we believers. Right, so it says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Isn't that true of us all? We'd rather be with the Lord than in the body. Well, while you're in the body, God's got a purpose for your life. All right? And actually, the word present there in verse 8 is the word face-to-face. -face, to be face-to-face -face with the Lord, cheek-to-cheek -cheek with the Lord. We'd rather be cheek-to-cheek, face-to-face with the Lord. Verse 9, wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. And verse 10 now, we come to the judgment seat. For we, believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us, every single person in this room has got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't let it worry you. You will not be judged. Your works are going to be judged. Now, the word uh, there for judgment seat is the, the famous word bima. You may have uh, seen this word in Greek. The bima, B-E-M-A, and it was a small raised platform on which a judge used to sit 
when uh, he was judging the particular cause in the city. Well, I say a small raised platform. The one in Athens was ten foot tall, but that was only because they got such big crowds. So we don't know how big the Lord's beamer or judgment seat is going to be, but I imagine it's going to be pretty vast. And the point is, each one of us is going to go up before the Lord with our bag of works, and we're going to appear. What for? What's the purpose of it? Well, it goes on. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. It's not in his body, it's through his body. Everyone may receive the things done through his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. All right? Whether it be good or bad. And we're not talking about sin here. This is not sin. This is production. You see, it's only the work of the Holy Spirit that can produce anything good. The flesh produces only bad. The word bad there, it means worthless, useless. It doesn't mean evil or sinful. Worthless. Now, if you pick up an apple and you say, oh, this apple's bad, you don't mean it's evil, it's been a naughty boy or something like that. Nothing to do with it. All you mean is it's worthless. I can't eat it. It's gone off. And so, our works fall into one of two categories. There are either good works, which are done by the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit, or they're the works of the flesh. And that's an awesome thing, isn't it? Because it means, in most Christians, you've got works, some from the flesh, some from the Spirit, and they're all mixed up and jumbled up in a bag. And unfortunately, we are more impressed by the works done in the flesh. Because we think, aren't I a good boy? Look what I've done. Isn't this good? I did this. But God's not impressed at all. Because to God, anything of the flesh is absolutely meaningless, worthless, useless, only fit for throwing away, throwing onto the rubbish heap. Oh, that we may have a revelation of that. Yes? There is actually a description of uh, the works of the flesh, which I rather like, in Isaiah. Uh, let's just buzz over to Isaiah quickly. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, and beginning verse 6, <clears throat> beginning verse 6, we have this description. All right, now here's the flesh. It's talking about the flesh. Now remember, the good works are produced by the inspiration, the motivation, and by the energy of the Spirit. Any other works are produced by your flesh. And this is what the Bible says about them. Isaiah 40 and verse 6. And here's Isaiah, and he hears a voice. The voice said, cry. That does not mean weep doesn't mean start weeping your eyes out. Nothing to do with it. It means shout. It means go to the street corner and raise your voice, voice and at the top of your voice, holler. That's what it means. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. But what shall I shout? That's obedience for me. Anyway, dear old Isaiah, okay, Lord, whatever you say. But what am I going to say, Lord? And he goes on. And he said, what shall I cry? And here's what he must say. All flesh is grass. Notice, if you've got an AV, the is there is actually inverted. Yes, it's, uh, it's not printed the same as the rest. And as you know, whenever you see that, it's been missed out from the text. And in Hebrew, when you miss the verb out, it's shouting it. 
It's emphasizing the point. And he's, God's saying, you get this point over to Israel because they don't believe it. They think that by obeying the law, by doing all of these things in their flesh, that they're pleasing me. And they are not. All right? And so he says, all flesh, grass. That's what he's saying. And all the good, goodliness, now the word goodliness is goodness, and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people grass. All right, that's all you're fit for, he says. You're not lasting, there's nothing enduring in you whatsoever. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. And the difference between good works and bad works is that the good works are eternal and the bad works are temporary. Whatever you produce won't even outlast you. Won't even outlast you. Whatever God produces will last for all eternity and you will receive reward for it. All right? Okay, now the major passage that we're going to deal with is 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. Now, we've been in Corinthians quite a lot over the past uh, few weeks. <clears throat> and this is the major chapter, actually, on the judgment of believers' works. This is 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. All right? I'm going to begin at verse 11. I'm going to begin at verse 11. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ is the only foundation that's going to last? He's the only one that has done anything eternal for you to build on. The only one. And in the Greek here it says it's the only one and there can't be another put side by side. And let us beware of any person that actually bases anything not on the Lord. Everything we believe is based on Jesus, on the fact that he died, the fact that he rose from the dead, the fact that he ascended, the fact that he's now seated on the right hand of God the Father, ever interceding for your sins. It's all Christ. What we believe is summed up beginning and end in Christ. Oh, the Mormons believe in Christ. Ah, but they've got another foundation. The Book of Mormon comes on the scene. It says there isn't any other there's only one, and it's Christ. And if you base it on any other foundation at all, it's no good. Not even God the Father. No foundation. Only Christ. Now, I once went to a talk in which a vicar uh, was speaking about communism. He was a communist, a member of the Communist Party. And the subject was uh, Christianity and communism. Paradox or tautology it was. And what he was trying to say was... Uh, well, surely communism is modern-day Christianity. And during his talk, he actually said that God raised up Jesus to start a social revolution. But Jesus failed. So last century, he raised up Karl Marx. That's what this so-called Christian was saying. There is no other foundation than that which is laid, and that's Christ Jesus. 
Karl Marx is nothing. We know from our first series, don't we? He's in the slave market of sin and he can't buy any others out of it. All right, you've heard the tapes. If you haven't, make sure you do. All right, there's no other foundation at all but the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the marvelous glory of the grace of God, that every person in this room has the ability to build on that foundation. Well, if I was a master builder and I built a wonderful foundation, I don't think I'd let children come and start building on my foundation. But the Lord does. Oh, it's tremendous. So that each person in this room has the ability to build on the foundation that God has laid. What a privilege that is. Right, now let's see. Now, verse 12. Now we get the building material. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and we've got now two categories of material. We've got gold, silver, and precious stones. All right, that's one category. Wood, hay, and stubble is the other category. You either build with gold and with silver and with jewels, or you build with the other three. And you couldn't get two more different sets of materials. Gold, silver, and precious stones are all enduring. They last and they last and they last. You can actually lose a gold ring in the garden. And a thousand years later, someone will dig it up and it'll still be shiny. That's gold for you. In fact, gold combines with very few other chemicals. Now, if it was an iron, an iron ring, and you left it in your garden, I assure you there'd probably only be a brown stain there, even after five or six years. All right? But gold endures. That's the point. Diamonds are hard. They're real hard stuff. What about the others? Wood, hay, and stubble. Oh, just no enduring power whatsoever. Actually, there's only one liquid that will dissolve gold. Uh, most of you, I think, will have covered this at some time, but it's called aqua regia. Aqua regia. And if you've done chemistry, uh, you bow down and worship that liquid, actually. It's real potent stuff because it's made up of one part of concentrated nitric acid and three parts of concentrated hydrochloric acid. And you don't start throwing around concentrated nitric, otherwise you'll get holes in your hand and so on. It's very powerful stuff. And it's about the only liquid which will actually dissolve gold. Now, that's how enduring the materials are. There's something else, though. Just have a look at these. The gold, the silver, and the precious stones are the type of materials that you'd use in building a palace. A palace. All right? What are the others? Wood, hay, and stubble. The type of materials you'd use in a mud hut. All right? The type of materials you'd actually use in a mud hut. And the question is that I want to ask you today... Which are you building? Are you building a palace for God or a mud hut for God on the foundation that he's laid? Is it enduring? Is it from the Holy Spirit? Or are you busy building? And this little mud hut is being developed on the foundation that God has laid. There is no other foundation, but there is a choice of building materials. All the energy of the flesh won't last. All the energy of the Holy Spirit will last, and the works of the Holy Spirit endure. All right? Now, there it is. Right, now, verse 13, we come to the actual day of judgment. And I want to say this. Some people are afraid of this day coming. 
They think God is going to hold up their works before everyone to see. They think that because of the next one. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be clearly shown for what it is. And they think, oh dear, everyone is going to see exactly what my work adds up to. But notice what it says. For the day shall declare it, that's the day of the judgment seat of Christ, because it shall be revealed by fire. And here's our believer coming along with his bag of works, and all the Lord does, he lights a match, and he sets fire to the whole lot. Now, if it's the work of the flesh, it starts burning. And I don't know about whether you know this or not, but when something burns, it doesn't remain for anyone to look at afterwards. Praise God. The things that are done by the Spirit through your life, they remain. So you end up with a pile of ashes, and you end up with a pile of gold and silver and precious stones. All right? Now, I'm sorry, this is bad news, actually, for some Christians, the holier-than-thou variety, who were just waiting for heaven to get up there and say, I told you so. I knew you were in the flesh. I knew you were. Look, there it is. I can see. Do you remember? I told you that that was in the flesh. <laughs> there we are. Now, there are holier-than-thou Christians, and I'm afraid this is bad news for you, because you won't ever get the opportunity. Because before you can stand and criticize, they're going to be burnt up. Praise God. <laughs> and all the dirty washing is going to be burnt up. Praise the name of Jesus. And all that will come to your sight is the bit of gold, the diamond, the jewels that are actually left behind afterwards. All right? All the rest is going to be burnt up. Now, what a glorious day. Amen. There are some people who are going to go in there and they're going to have a big bag and you're going to say, oh, oh, what a big bag. You mean you've done all that? And they'll say, that's right, I've done all this. And there are you with your little bag. And then the flames added to the bottom. And there might be perhaps one gold ring left, or a little diamond, or an earring, or something. And they're going to walk out, having brought in a huge bag. Actually, they've only got a little thing left. Why? Because they've been dashing about under their own zeal, their own enthusiasm. Now, many people say they're working for God, and it's not for God at all, it's for self. Many people are busy doing the Lord's work, and it's not the Lord's work, it's their work. The day is going to declare it. It's all going to be burnt up, right? And I believe that when we get to heaven, we're in for one or two shocks. Because there are going to be some people who've been noted for their ministry, there are going to be some people who've had their name in lights. And they're going to have a big bag. But what they end up with is going to be a different kettle of fish. And there's actually going to be some woman who has never spoken, perhaps, who you would ignore in a crowd, who perhaps you wouldn't even notice when you went into a church or into a fellowship meeting. But she faithfully and quietly has been serving the Lord. And she's going to come out, and there's only going to be a little pile of ashes. And almost her whole bag is going to be intact. And you know, it makes me stand again in awe. Because you see, it's not a man's reputation or personality or his ability to talk or his knowledge or anything. Nothing at all like that counts. It's how much the Holy Spirit is doing through your life and through mine that really counts. You see, we're all equal. 
You may be intelligent. Someone else may be not, but they've both got the Holy Spirit, so they can both produce. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's the great equaliser. Don't you believe death is? It's not. There's heaven and hell after death. It's no equaliser at all, but the Holy Spirit's a marvellous equaliser. He turns fools into great wise men of God. Hallelujah. He takes the weak and the foolish and turns them into towers of strength. That's the Lord, because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that counts. All right, now what does it say? Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Is it in the spirit? Is it in the flesh? The fire is actually going to show. All right? Fine. Now, let's go on to the next one. And here we come. Verse 14 now. Verse 14. If any man's work abide, if and it will, some of your work is going to abide. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. All right? So, if any... At any time on this earth, you have actually allowed the Holy Spirit to move through you to produce works by his power. You'll receive a reward for that. Glory to Jesus. Next one. Verse 15. If, and it's true again, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. What's his loss? He won't get his reward. He will suffer the loss of his reward. But he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. That is not purgatory. That is no reference put to purgatory whatsoever. What it's saying is this. Here's the man, and he's got a huge bag of works, and they're all dead works. They're all fleshly works. Now, God can't bear those in his company. So they've got to be lit and burnt to ashes, but he himself will be saved. And this is a tragic man. This is the man who has preached thousands of sermons, given hundreds of talks, given Bible studies galore, has written books, has taken this meeting, has taken that meeting, has dashed all around the country. And when he gets to the judgment seat of Christ and the accounts are done, it adds up to zero. Absolute zero. He hasn't done anything in the power of the Spirit at all. He's been moving always in the power of the flesh. Oh, tragic man. Coming to heaven and not even one sheaf of wheat to show for it. Not even one person who's been saved. Not even one soul in heaven because of that man's ministry. And he spent his whole life working for God, so he thought. And there are going to be plenty of them when we get to that place absolutely tragic when you think of it. Do you know, the best gold is leading people to the Lord. It must be so, because their salvation is eternal. Fire's not going to burn up their salvation. So you lead one person to the Lord, and you've got one bit of gold already. And it's going to last through the fire, because nothing can separate them from the love of God either. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, so there's real wonderful gold. And verse 16, we'll just go on to verse 16. All right? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And here's the point. If you are a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Therefore, you have all the ability you need, all the power you need to put into action the work of God in your life. Hallelujah. I'm so glad Paul ended on that particular phrase just there because it shows that every Christian has the ability to produce for God 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold by the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Hallelujah. I'm going to repeat it. First of all, it is not your sins judged. Secondly, it is not you judged. It's your works that are judged. And they will be judged by fire. They'll just be set fire to. And the good ones, the ones done by the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to last and exist and carry straight through. Glory to Jesus. Okay, now how do you produce with God? How do you produce? There are two don'ts. And both of them are given in Scripture. First of all, in Ephesians and chapter 4... And verse 30, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, and it just says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. To grieve the Holy Spirit means to make him cry within you. Don't get the Holy Spirit weeping. How many Christians I know who are weeping and weeping and weeping, not because of their circumstances, but because the Holy Spirit inside of them is weeping. And it's sin that does it. If you are allowing sin in your life and unconfessed sin, the Holy Spirit's grieving. He's crying out inside. And if he's crying, he can't be producing. All right? That is why, before you can produce for God, you have to be in fellowship. No one ever produced anything of eternal value while not in fellowship with the Lord. Confession of sins is so important. Now, that's the first. The second one is found in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And 5, chapter 5, and verse 19. 5, and verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and it just says this, Quench not the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit of God. And the idea here is that the Holy Spirit's a fire that's burning. And to quench it means to smother it. I would translate that, actually, as give up smothering the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't smother him out. Oh, the number of Christians that try and hold the Spirit back in their lives. When the Holy Spirit wants to branch out in joy and love and in prophecy and all the other wonderful spiritual gifts, and they're sitting there. I'm too shy. I'm not good enough. Oh, what will people think of me? And all the rest. And it's smothering the Holy Spirit inside. Let him burn. He's burning with love and he wants to burn out of each one of us. And as soon as he's allowed out work of a good value starts being produced. A work that will last any fire that God can kindle. Hallelujah. And you will receive the reward for it. Praise the name of Jesus. And it goes on. Despise not prophesying. Don't you despise prophesying. You get prophesying and fast. Praise God. Alright? Now there are certain don'ts that you mustn't do. You mustn't grieve the Holy Spirit. You mustn't quench the Holy Spirit. Right, so at the judgment of believers' works, the Lord Jesus is sitting as judge in a way that you get a judge at an athletics meeting. 
All right, he's going to give out the prizes. The judge sits there and he assesses how well each person has done. There's the discus thrower, there's the javelin thrower, there's the person doing the 1,500 metres or whatever. And actually, uh, the judge sits there and he hands out the prizes. And what's the prize? Crowns. Crowns are given to every believer. Here's a crown. Not a kingly crown of the type that shows regality, but the type of crown that was given in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the people used to struggle to train for years and years and years, training away, just to receive a crown made from oak leaves. Not only oak leaves, it was a bit of ivy, could have been some roses, some violets, even parsley was used, amazingly, and used to make just a type of crown which fitted round the head and they struggled and struggled just to get that one crown. Can you imagine it? Years and years and years they struggled to receive that one crown. And doesn't that put most Christians in the shade? These athletes were struggled just to get a tangle of leaves and we have got a crown that's non-corruptible. How much struggling and striving and training are you doing to get your crown, all right? There's a, we, won't, we haven't got time, actually, to deal with it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you've just got uh, a little phrase which actually um, says... I will have to turn to it. 1 Corinthians 9, a little phrase which just says <clears throat> this about the crown. And it says this, <clears throat> Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible there it is. How much more should we strive in the spirit to do the good works? Fine. And the crown was then a sign that they were victor ludorum, that they had actually were victor. It was a special duty and service that they'd done. And we're going to receive crowns. And your pile of works, which have lasted through the fire, are going to be replaced by crowns. Uh, to see that again, let's have a look at Timothy. Timothy. In 2 Timothy, chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, now I could, of course I could say much more about the athletic games, there are many pictures that uh, actually we could paint to show how the Christian should behave, rather like an athlete in the ancient world. But here's another one, and here Paul's describing himself as a wrestler. Alright, now he's just about to die, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Look at his assurance. <coughs> I have fought a good fight. And the word fight there is agonizamo. Oh, I've agonized well, he says. And it is. It's exactly that in the spirit. He has fought very well. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He on his deathbed was confident of his reward. And the fact that he mentions people who love his appearing, these are people who can die very easily because they have spent their lives working for Christ. They're looking forward to dying. They're looking forward to the rapture. They haven't wasted a second. Now, some Christians, if they realized that they were going to die tomorrow, they say, oh, Lord, I'm not ready to go. Paul, on his deathbed, said, Lord, 
I fought a good fight. And I know and have the assurance, because I know the word of God, that ahead for me there's a wonderful crown. Not a corruptible tangle of leaves, but an incorruptible crown waiting in heaven just for me. Oh, hallelujah. I want that assurance myself. Praise God, I believe I have that assurance. I believe I am ready to die tomorrow. And I can say, I fought the fight. I have. But I know there's much more to be done. We can have the assurance without being presumptuous about it. You can have the assurance that the work that you've done has been glorifying to God and has been done for Him entirely. All right? Now, that's the fact. You can know that your reward is going to come forth. And let's have none of this false humility. You know, the type of people who say, Oh, I don't like the thought that we should work just to get a crown. You know the type of thing? I just want to work for Jesus, and that's good. But God wants to give you a crown. There's nothing wrong with it. What's going to happen to the crowns anyway? Let's have a look at Revelation chapter 4. Let's have a look at Revelation chapter 4. And um, verses 10 and 11. Revelation chapter 4, 10 and 11. Right? <clears throat> and here is the picture of heaven opened. And John's looking in. It's just before the rapture of the church. And what does he see? He sees 24 angels. 24 angels. They're called here uh, 24 elders. These are the leaders of the angelic host. 24 elders. Now notice what they say. And the, 20, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, do you see the picture? Here, the, even the leaders of the angels take their crowns off and they throw them to the feet of Jesus. And I believe that every believer is going to do the same. We are going to enter the great throne room of Christ and we will take the crowns that we've been given and we'll throw them before his feet. Now, that's not for humility. I want to give him the biggest and the best crowns. The more I've got, the better I'll, I'll be happy with it. I don't want people to notice and I don't want him to notice. I just want to give him my best. Hallelujah. That's why you should be working. Because he's glorified by the Holy Spirit being allowed to work through you. Oh, hallelujah. And the day's going to come. And you imagine, there are going to be some men around who thought they spent their whole life working for God. And they're going to get into the throne room of the one that they've loved. And they'll have nothing to give him. Oh, Lord, may he preserve us from that coming our way. But there's going to be no more sorrow nor tears. Old things have passed away. But right now, I feel that I want to give him the best. I'm sure we all do. At the judgment seat of Christ, your works are going to be shown up for what they are. No one's going to pry. They're just going to be burnt up. 
Now you have the opportunity to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to move through you in such a way that wonderful silver, wonderful gold, wonderful diamonds and emeralds and topaz and rubies and carbuncles and all the other wonderful precious stones can be produced by the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, he needs you. He has got to have witnesses. He's got to have servants. He's got to have slaves. He's got to have vessels through whom he can work. What about saying, here am I, Lord, use me. Lord, I'm giving up my enthusiasm. I'm giving up my ambition. I want your work to come through. I want your work to come through. One day, Lord, I know I'm going to stand before your great judgment seat, and I know my work's going to be judged. Father, I just want as many crowns as possible to throw to the feet of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why I've got to end on one scripture, a lovely little scripture, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, three verses. Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. Verse 23 to 25. Here it is, my brothers and sisters. This is the word for us, all of us. Now, I've said enough about verse 24, but verse 25 is the important one. Let's go. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. He's promised you eternal life. He's faithful. Verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to provoke unto good works. I've said about that, obviously, that your sheer company should provoke people to love you. I just can't help loving you. You provoke me into it. And also to provoke to good works, all right? So that you see someone, you say, Lord, I want to be used by the Holy Spirit, just like they are. Lord, I want to be full of the Holy Ghost, just like they are. Lord, I want that joy. I want that power. I want that stability that they've got, provoking one another to good works all the time. And verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. That's true today. There are some who feel they can go it alone. We need one another desperately. What God can do through a body of Christians, he can't do with you by yourself. We need to be submitted and subjected to one another. Not neglect, sorry, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching to exhort one another every time we meet to have conversation that's in the spirit, have conversation about the Lord so that we're all built up. Praise God. And even more as you see the day coming. Why? Because just after the day, the rapture, Every work that you have produced is going to be judged. And I want it all to redound to the glory of the Lord. Amen.